0: and welcome to another episode of accessibility. It's a show on YouTube where I talk about the video game industry, accessibility and representation. Basically, how can we help more people to play games and more people to see themselves in the games they play? Now, if you don't already know me, my name's Laura and I'm a trans woman. What that means is that I was assigned male at birth, but for my entire adult life, I have lived comfortably, happily, and legally as female. Today, I want to tell you about a specific, recently released video game that has a trans character who's not the playable character, who gets called by their pre-transition name and their old pronouns frequently throughout the narrative, is running away from being harassed you know, for their trans status, I'm not talking about The Last of Us 2, I know I could very easily be talking about The Last of Us 2 here, but... I want to talk about Deadly Premonition 2 and the games of developer Heat attacker, Sweary, Sahiro. If you've never heard of Sweary, here's a crash course. Sweary is an independent game developer who loves making his games a bit over the top and absurd. Responsible for titles like D4, The Missing, and the upcoming game The Good Life, Sweary has a real love for combining larger than life characters with otherwise normal seeming surroundings. Be warned. This video is going to be talking a lot about Deadly Premonition, The Missing, and Deadly Premonition 2, and as a result we're going to need to talk pretty heavy spoilers about all three of them, so go in knowing that we're gonna talk some spoilers. Originally released back in 2010, the original Deadly Premonition was one of Swery's first games to really develop a cult following. It was a frequently broken mess of a game, leaning really hard into trying to be a Twin Peaks homage, that had a lot of memorable scenes and characters. While the game was undeniably a broken mess at times, and in some places actively not fun to play mechanically, the game nonetheless felt charming. It was sincere in its writing, it was a budget title, in many ways it felt comparable to Tommy Wiseau's because in spite of its technical issues, it felt like a project made with absolute sincerity. Every rough edge felt loved. It's a weird and memorable little game. The game also features a character called Thomas, a character who I never interpreted to be a trans woman when initially playing through the game, based purely on the content in the game itself. Thomas is a villainous character, who wears women's clothes while committing crimes. The particular plot point feels tacky, and it doesn't really add anything of value to the game's mystery. It mainly feels like Thomas exists in the plot, because Twin Peaks had a trans character, and so sweary's homage needs something similar. Thomas is only seen wearing a dress and feather boa when it's time to go do some killings, and it feels pretty gross. Thomas as a character hits on a lot of the tropes around how trans women in media are often represented. This character is assigned male at birth, attracted to men, wears a dress, dresses up pretending to be their own sister, they are a danger to those around them, particularly women, and it never really amounts to much. Thomas acts camp and effeminate when introduced, is part of a BDSM group, kills some women while wearing a dress, and then gets killed. It's a weird negative spot in a game that I otherwise feel quite fond of. I'm going to highlight Thomas's sister obsession in particular, because we're going to come back to that later. Now, I always read the character of Thomas in Deadly Premonition just based on the in game content as being a cross dressing male character, as we never hear them use a name other than Thomas, we never hear the character referred to by anything but he slash him pronouns, and there's never any indication that Thomas wishes to live as female outside of committing the game's killings. We only see feminine clothing in relation to Thomas killing women, nothing more. However, a 2018 interview with sweary conducted by Site Rely on Horror, suggests otherwise. To quote Sweary, gender Association Disorder is her identity. In the world of Deadly Premonition, anyone can become good or evil. This is the setting where Thomas's character, worldview, expression of love, weakness, and life environment develops. The where and how and why she chooses to live that life that she did. It was not out of misunderstanding about transgenderism that the character Thomas was portrayed in that way, but out of consideration of the country town of Greenvale, modelled after a real location in America, that this sad story was born. Thus, Thomas never needs to change. To change her is to reject her personality and to discriminate against her life. Now, maybe this is a matter of translation, but gender dissociation disorder isn't a thing that you get diagnosed with in the UK or America, and I couldn't find any references online to that term. It may just be a term I'm unfamiliar with, or a translation of a foreign term and I don't know the original language translation, but I do want to note up front that I couldn't find any references to this phrase, and I worry slightly that Sweary might have come up with this himself on the spot in an interview. I I would like to be corrected, and if I'm wrong, let me know in the comments, but I I couldn't find anything to that effect. While I don't personally feel that the content in the original Deadly Premonition really approaches presenting Thomas as a trans woman character? Let's assume that this interview, several years after that game's release, is accurate, and that Sweary had always intended Thomas to be a portrayal of a trans woman, and let's discuss the character under that lens. Thomas is a trans woman character who murders women, is sex obsessed, and is consistently referred to by a birth name and male pronouns throughout. If this is meant to be a portrayal of a trans woman character, it's not a good one. It relies on harmful tropes about the trans community, and doesn't provide any degree of humanization. For the character. The closest the game ever gets to validating Thomas as female is that she's seen at the end of the game as part of a group shot with the story's murdered women, which could be seen as an attempt to validate her as a woman. But if this is the intention, it is not clearly communicated in the game. Thomas being female is never approached with any kind of sensitivity, and the character seems to mainly exist because having a male assigned character present as female is a media trope shorthand to tell you that someone is deceitful or villainous. It, it's the whole idea of the queer villain, it's why so many villains are presented as non straight non cisgender, it's because it's shorthand for villainous. Additionally, and again maybe the wording of this comes down to the translation of that interview, but it sure sounds like the end of that Sweary quote is him saying that being critical of Thomas as a trans portrayal is the real transphobia, which is awkward to sit with. I mention this all because this content in Deadly Premonition, I will admit, made me a little cautious of Swery's games for a while, I would still eventually get round to playing them, but usually after they'd been out a while and I could check if they contained any similar content, I felt weirdly uneasy about Sweary's attitude to placing trans characters in his games. It felt like we were props, representative of the very thing society falsely believes we are. So, uh, from there, let's talk a little bit about The Missing and why, when I played it just in isolation with no external knowledge about anything the developer had said about the game, Why it felt like such a positive step forward, and why it so much felt like Sweary had learned lessons from how Thomas was depicted in Deadly Premonition 1. The Missing is a side-scrolling puzzle platform game, and easily the most narratively cohesive and easily recommendable of Swery's games. You play as the titular JJ, who after awaking in a strange world, discovers she can survive severe injuries and reassemble herself afterwards. In order to progress through puzzles, you might need to sever your own arm and throw it at a switch, or set yourself on fire and burn through a gate, or even get yourself decapitated to roll down through a small hole. While JJ can put herself back together after these intense injuries, she experiences all of the extreme pain that these injuries cause her. She goes through pain, pushes forwards, and keeps moving on. She doesn't give up, no matter how bleak the situation or how much she's hurting. As it turns out, the whole game is actually taking place inside JJ's mind. JJ is a recently out trans woman, and while she has a loving partner and is doing well at university, a combination of guilt from her mother trying to push her into conversion therapy, and her trans status being leaked to a school full of unsupportive individuals, she attempts to take her own life. The whole game is basically JJ working through the fact that she doesn't actually want to die, she may have had a moment of extreme sadness that brought Brought her here, but she ultimately knows that she's strong enough to live with any pain that might come her way for being trans. It's an uplifting story of a trans woman digging deep, finding that will to keep on living. If you'd like to read my more in depth thoughts about this game, directly after I finished my first playthrough, I've linked an article below that I wrote on the topic for Kataki UK, which you can find in the video description. The game was developed in consultation with trans consultants, and it shows. There's a really interesting moment at the end of the game where JJ's lying on the floor being treated by a medic, with her pre-estrogen chest exposed and her wig removed. Her girlfriend still genders her correctly and uses her proper name, she's no less valid of a woman in that moment. Even in a game centred around a trans character surviving their lowest moment, the game manages to avoid misgendering and dead naming, and have a hopeful message by its conclusion. The Missing, I felt after I finished playing it, was a really wonderful example of trans representation done right, and again, based solely on the content in the game itself, I still kinda feel that way. It's a difficult game to play, and it is based in trauma for a trans person, sure but it always feels respectful of that trans person's identity and who they are. It presents a moment that I experienced in my late teens in a way that offered a light at the end of the tunnel. Things will get better. You just have to keep moving. You are valid. You do still have that desire to live. However, if you remember that rely on horror interview that we talked about earlier, we're going to jump back to it now because there's a quote in that that uh, suggests Swery's understanding of the trans positive story his name is attached to might have been great in spite of, and not thanks, to his own understanding. As we shortly move into discussing Deadly Premonition 2, I think it's going to become increasingly clear that Sweary himself doesn't necessarily understand the basics of proper trans representation, despite what the missing in game content might have suggested. So, in regards to the quite vicious transphobic text messages that protagonist JJ receives from her mother, Sweary had the following to say. I made sure that it always came back to this game's central message, that this title was made with the belief that no one is wrong for what they are. This message is true for the character of JJ's mother as well, she is also not wrong for being who she is. As a reminder, JJ's mother tries to push her into conversion therapy, and refuses to accept her daughter for who she is. She's so vehemently anti-trans that she's part of the reason JJ attempts to take her own life. She's a villain of the piece, blinded by her hyper-religious beliefs into disowning her own daughter. To hear the creator discuss her as being not wrong is concerning. It suggests that every side of the trans rights debate is equally valid. You have just as much right to try and force your child into conversion therapy as a trans person does to exist. It's a pretty bad case of both sidesism. Now, as not great as that is, the content in the missing itself was good, and I personally had hope that if Sweary included trans characters in future games, they'd at least be handled somewhat tastefully. That that at the very least he would he understood the importance of getting consultants back to protect him from himself. Unfortunately, this isn't the case. Deadly Premonition 2 released about a week ago, and it has a whole host of its own issues with trans representation. I spent three days playing through this game, and the longer I played it, the more unforgiving I ended up being, because it makes so many such basic missteps with how it handles its trans character. Much like the original Deadly Premonition, Deadly Premonition 2 is a bit of a technical mess. The frame rate when outside in the game's open world is unforgivably bad, there are technical issues that frequently break your ability to do certain in game actions, and yet there's still something to love in places about its charm. It has that feeling of sincerity in how it's made, but comes with several new caveats to consider. Firstly, and I'm just going to get this out of the way, it's not to do with trans representation, but in Deadly Premonition 2, protagonist Francis York Morgan repeatedly does exaggerated impressions of the voices of non white characters, and it's really bad. Particularly, he loves to do impressions of Hoongan, a skeletal ghost voodoo priest whose mystical riddles are literally the only reason that York makes any progress in the murder case. The impressions are frequent, they're racist, and I don't know how they got into the final game. Okay, with that out of the way, let's get talking about trans representation in Deadly Premonition 2. During the second chapter of Deadly Premonition 2, the player is introduced to to Lena Doman, a canonical trans woman character who's apparently faced discrimination, ostracization, and hatred from everyone in town. She's seemingly the town's dark secret, everyone is essentially sworn to secrecy and don't acknowledge she exists. The first time we see another person living in the town acknowledge Lena is part of an objective hunting for a stylish woman. The town's sheriff will tell you that if you're looking for a stylish woman, then you're barking up the wrong tree. She's not exactly a normal woman, he says, trying to wink Quink, nudge, nudge at you the fact she's trans. Initially, Deadly Premonition 2 seems like it's going to go out of its way to be respectful to the trans community, with that previous moment put aside for a second. In fact, the game's protagonist, York, goes as far as to give a lengthy and passionate speech about how transphobia is bad, and you shouldn't treat someone badly just because of who they are, and, you know, trans people deserve safety and respect, and for a brief moment, it felt like Sweary, th- the Sweary who created The Missing, was making a point in Deadly Premonition 2 to to show, yes, I understand, I've learned, I I get trans rights, and uh, I want to be respectful of this game's trans character. You can even have a conversation about the importance of respecting a trans person's pronouns. And I mean, it makes sense. York is a man who has very specific feelings on what people should call him, even if it's not technically his legal first name. It would make sense for him to defend the right of an individual to have their chosen name respected. When he gives his I'm the only trans positive man in a town full of bigots speech, I was hopeful we were going to see him respecting this trans woman, even if those around him did not. That falls away really quickly. The first time York meets Lena in person, he's investigating her for suspected murder, or or at the very least manipulating people into committing murder on her behalf. As almost a gotcha moment, York throws out her dead name, her name pre-transition, a name that has never come up before in the plot and has no bearing on the scene. It comes across like he's trying to show that she's a liar, she's hiding something, to put her on the back foot while being interrogated. It also has major vibes of, you've committed a crime, so your name privilege has been taken away. Additionally, and this is important to note, York during this scene also goes out of his way to downplay the horrific transphobia Lena has experienced, with straw man arguments to downplay her fury at the town. He suggests that, because they haven't burned you at the stake, that her transphobia hasn't actually been all that bad. As the game goes on, the level of frequency with which York deadnames and misgenders Lena only increases, seeing a notable uptick in frequency once letter has died. Once she's out of the room, once she's dead, once she's not there to to respond, the rate at which she's dead named and misgendered rises to something like 50%. It's a coin flip at any moment which pronouns are going to get used. One of the primary people who put her through transphobic abuse, her father, also gets to say that he didn't actually mean any of it and he's very sorry just before he dies, in a move that's meant to absolve him of years of abuse very quickly. I mean, he doesn't actually apologise, he just kind of waffles about how he only acted that way because he was struggling to understand her, it's excuses, not acknowledgement of wrongdoing. While there's a lot of dead naming and misgendering of Lena in the game, most of it falls into one specific category, which any trans person could have told you was a bad idea in the narrative. In the vast majority of scenes, York and his fellow investigators use Lena's dead name and he him pronouns, if they're referring to a part of Lena's story prior to her transition, where her having a penis is relevant, or at a time in the story before York met her, where the status of her, t- her transition is unknown. As a quick primer for writing stories about trans characters, it's basically never necessary to use a character's dead name or old pronouns even when talking about them in the past a sentence like when Laura was younger she had to play sports with the boys doesn't use the pronouns or name I used at the time but you can still understand the sentence and its meaning perfectly well in the context of knowing I'm transgender to throw in my dead name or my old pronouns into that sentence would be unnecessary this is a basic point of respect when writing about trans people or characters even before we came out to the world we were still already the person we are now beyond that Uh, Deadly Premonition 2 in several places deliberately deadnames and misgenders Lena in scenes that we know she's out as a trans woman. You can't just write it all off as, whoever localized this, whoever created the scene didn't know that you're not supposed to misgender people if you're talking about them in the past. No, there, there are scenes in which Lena is very clearly already out as a trans woman, in which York and other investigators and people in the town refer to her by her old name by her own pronouns and it's it's frustrating. There's even a scene where as tacky as it is, York starts a sentence by correctly gendering Lena, stopping himself, and then deadnaming and misgendering her. That's not a slip of the tongue. That's a deliberate sentence someone wrote where her identity was respected then corrected. It's not something that ever needs to be in a narrative about a trans character. Also, cycling back to Thomas's depiction in the original Deadly Premonition, Lena is a murderer, one of the primary villains of the game who kills several women and has an incestuous sexual relationship with her own sister, getting her pregnant. Yeah, I told you that Thomas dressing up and pretending to be her sister would come back around. Sweary seemingly has some weird belief about trans women being unsettlingly obsessed with their female siblings. Presenting that in your games once isn't great. Presenting that in your games twice is a pattern of how you're representing a minority group, and it feels really uncomfortable. Now look, I can already hear some of you say, surely if we're going to have trans people appear in media they have to sometimes do bad things to be interesting, and and to that I would argue, we are so rarely represented at all, and in real life we're so often perceived as dangerous, c- villainous, creepy sex pests, that putting a trans character in your game as a villainous, creepy sex pest reinforces a lot of current and dangerous real world views of who and what trans people are, particularly if they're the only trans character in your piece of media. At its heart, both the Deadly Premonition games are basically homages to Twin Peaks, and. If you really, really insist that you need your, your Twin Peaks homage to have a villainous, murderous sister fucking trans woman in it, why not take some lessons from Twin Peaks and, at the very least, have a counterpoint, have a different kind of trans woman in the story as well. Look at Twin Peaks. It had a fellow FBI agent who was, help- who was good, who was helping to solve the case. You could have had York working with an FBI agent trans woman, and that would, at the very least, have softened the blow because. Villainous murderer sisterfucker would not have been the only kind of trans woman we've got to see in this narrative. Right. Let's cycle back to something I touched on as well. While I was just positively referencing the character of Denise, a trans woman who appears in the TV show Twin Peaks, while Denise was comparatively positive trans representation for the era she was introduced in, one major issue with her character today, which is relevant to discussions of Deadly Premonition 2, is the fact that she's played by a cisgender male actor, David Duchovny. Now let's talk about casting cisgender men, not trans women, to play trans women in pieces of media. The same logic I'm going to use here very much applies. to trans men as well. There are countless talented trans men and women currently trying to find work as voice actors and on screen actors. A lot of those people don't get to be cast in non transgender roles because of their trans status. When rare transgender roles do come up, they're also given to non trans actors. Trans actors basically don't get to play themselves, or people unlike themselves. Beyond that, Non-trans people playing trans roles often don't understand the lived experiences of their characters, leading to them not noticing script issues a trans actor might have noticed, or saying things in interviews about trans experiences which are just not true. It is important you cast trans people to play trans characters. Now, the question who plays Lena Doman in Deadly Premonition 2 is actually slightly more complicated than you might imagine. The game's credits list Billy Kametz, with an S at the end, as voicing the character, a person who doesn't seem to exist if we look for that exact spelling. It's unlikely they cast complete completely unknown actor in the role, given the quality of the line delivery, which leaves either a spelling mistake, or an attempt to obfuscate who played the role. I believe strongly that the role was played by Billy Kamitz with a Z at the end. He's an established voice actor, his voice and Lenna's performance are very similar, and he's the only person in voice acting with a name even vaguely similar to the one listed in the credits. I reached out to Swerry, who was not involved in casting for the English version of the game, but he did confirm that, to his knowledge, this was the person who played the character. Billy Kametz is a cisgender man, Man, and it's a shame to see him cast in this role. Additionally, if we look back to Deadly Premonition 1 and treat Thomas's character as a trans woman, she too was voiced by a cisgender man. Additionally, I asked Sweary if he had gotten trans consultants to work on Deadly Premonition 2, and he said no. That's unsurprising, it's hard to imagine any game with actual trans people working on it releasing in this state. Now it's important to note that during the week I've been working on this video, and in the time since I, I asked Sweary those questions, he has actually released a public statement on Twitter apologizing for the trans content in Deadly Premonition 2, and promising to edit scenes in the game to address complaints. Dear Deadly Premonition fans, I would like to tell important message. I realized by pointed out from friends, I might have hurt transgender people in my scenario. It wasn't intentional, I am really sorry for that. Some scenes will be sanity checked by a team that included diversity, and I will rewrite that scene ASAP. So, please continue to support Deadly Premonition. I'm the one writing the scenario, so the characters are not responsible, my fault Please don't hate them, Sweary. Now, there's a few things in this that I want to address. I'm really glad that Sweary is publicly acknowledging that he fucked up, rather than doubling down, even if his apology is a bit vague on specifics. I think it's honestly a little tacky to ask people to please keep buying your game in your apology for offensive content in that game. <sighs> I debated a lot while writing this script for this video, um, back and forth on how much of the responsibility for the trans representation to ascribe to Sweary himself. This statement suggests that I was wrong to put my criticisms at Swery's feet, as he is here taking responsibility for those issues. I'm glad that Sweary plans to get a diverse team to help him go over the story and fix the trans representation in the game where he can, but let's be honest, that should have happened before the game launched. The Missing had a team of consultants working on it. It's not like Swery is unaware of the concept of getting diverse voices onto a project to help make sure minority characters' stories are handled well. He chose not to do it on this game before it released. With that in mind, I think criticisms are fair sweary wants us not to hate the characters for the lines of dialogue he wrote for them but that's tough once you've seen a character that you once really liked throw out a dead name as a punishment and an interrogation it's hard to divorce that from how you see the character lastly I really hope that the promised patch to the game does fully fix the game's representation but the issues of dead naming and misgendering are spread throughout large numbers of scenes over multiple hours of the game and appear in forms that are not always easy to copy paste and replace additionally you can't can't fundamentally change the fact this game's only trans character fucked her sister, got her pregnant, then murdered a bunch of women in ritual sacrifice. Those plot points are vital to the game's mystery as it currently exists. And even if you fix as much as you can, York's pro trans speech early in the game is still going to feel incredibly tone deaf to anyone who played the game in its opening days. Now, I bring all this up not because I want sweary to you know, stop making games, that's not what this is. I think that's where he makes fascinating games, and I think our industry would be worse off without him. I think that the unique weird brand of games he makes, they have a place in this industry, I don't want them to go away. But if he's gonna keep making games and he's gonna keep putting trans people in his games, he either needs to learn the fundamental issues that he keeps making with his trans characters, or he needs to get trans consultants in so that they can catch those issues for him, or he needs to stop putting us in games, because. We don't need this kind of representation. We don't need a person who himself is not transgender making repeated stories about trans women as murderous, sex-obsessed sisterfuckers. Like, that's not good representation. And it's weird that he keeps returning to that specific kind of trans woman when not working with consultants. At his best, Sweary is a wonderfully out of the box developer. He creates games that I can't picture anyone else making that I think really fondly of, but I always have to recommend his games with caveats. I always have to say to people, give it a couple of days and like let me check what's in this game before I recommend it to you, before I suggest that you should check it out. And that's such a shame because after the missing release, Perhaps foolishly, I had this belief that oh, maybe Square's games will be safe now, in future if he's going to have trans characters, you know, there'll be consultants involved, it'll be fine, and that made it all the more disappointing when this game slipped up as much as it did on trans representation. Because the problem is, the more of his games I play, and the more I read about his games after I've played them, the more clear it becomes that the moments of positive trans representation he has had in some of his games are in spite of him, not because of him, and that's a problem.